Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. Like I said this morning, we're talking about the word intimacy, but those who are, who are uh, just already wanting to just like check out or you have assumptions, preconceived assumptions, we just sit with me a little bit today. We've been in a series, and whether you're watching online, I know uh, it's, it's a crazy time of year. There's a lot of movement and a lot of uh, moving around and vacations, all of it. Uh, if God has spoken to you at all during this series, I just encourage you to share it. Let it known to someone. Because uh, we've been in a series, we called it One Flesh. Um, just a word play. The, the fact is, if you are in Jesus, you have been made one with him. You're united. And with that one flesh, you now have the beautiful opportunity to either uh, uh, live gloriously in him. He has given us everything needed for life and godliness. Or we can, we can distract from what we've been united with in him. And then the cool thing is, uh, whether you are single or married, that, that sort, of, it sort of shifts a little. Because now in Jesus, I'm not just one in him, but now I'm one with Kate with him, and that's just a little messy and muddy. And so this whole series has been really, how do we, with our one flesh, whether it is as a single person or a married couple or a dating couple who's still uh, individual one flesh, is how do we honor the Lord with that which he has given us, our one flesh? And so we've been diving into that uh, sort of taking it like the tools. Did you know that you have tools in your tool belt as a Christ follower? The Holy Spirit has uniquely empowered you to do everything possible in godliness. He's given you the capabilities. So we've dove into uh, the tool of honor, week one, the tool of purity last week, and this week is intimacy. Now, the interesting thing about intimacy is our culture would say that intimacy is not really a tool that one can use. It's just something that you get uh, when you like really know someone, or we've categorized it to just like something, a blessing of marriage. But the, uh, the Lord has given us as his church the tool of intimacy. And when we untap that, when we actually understand what it is, like we're going to dive into today, like it, it is powerful. It is when I stand intimate with you, God's church, that the, the gates of hell cannot prevail. It's when I stand intimately connected with the people around me, my wife, that, that the enemy must flee. And so there's a, there's a statement, a story of intimacy that we need to rewrite this morning. Um, and so I got two words for you. You know, if you've been with us, uh, we've been diving really into, I don't, I get distracted by things in my pocket. I'm just going to throw that down there. Uh, we've been diving into some Greek words a lot. Uh, and so last week, we dove into two words for purity that we sort of, you know, mess up and blend together and, and really miss the point. This week, I got two words for you, and it's these. It's the word gnosko and the word epigonosko. Sound, sound fun? Yeah. Um, Gnosko and epigonosko. These are the words for uh, to know something, to, to genuinely and intimately. And we'll dive into the separation of these two, but did you know that when in, in Luke and in Matthew, when they're talking about Jesus' mommy and daddy, and you read where it says that, that uh, Mary is knocked up, she's got a baby in her, uh, and, but it says that 
that your translation may say this. You ready? It may say that Joseph never had sexual relations with Mary until after Jesus came. Like that's what Matthew writes this, never had sexual relations. He did not, even though they're married, he waited until the baby came, all these things. It says, that's what it's defined as. But in the Greek, it just says, Joseph did not gnosko Mary until later. And so this, this beautiful word, no, is translated over and over and over in scripture as sexually no, intimately no, to actually truly dive into no. So we're going to separate it a little bit. Gnosko is an experiential knowledge. It's a, like a relational knowledge. And I need to tell you this right up front because it's going gonna, it's gonna to make a lot more sense when we go into this, okay? Intimacy, we distract it or, or categorize it and really minimize it. But there's a, a few words. So, gnosko is to experientially know something. It's ongoing, it's relational, but it's fragmented. It is a little bit incomplete even, which then gets to the epi word, epigonosco. It is this fully acquainted with. It's a knowledge that is intensive. It's precise. It's accurate. It's correct. It's intimate. It's a knowledge that is participant. It's like you participate in that understanding. It's not just you know something, but now you have to participate in the understanding. It's epigonosco that is very beautiful. We're participating in something. It's an all-in kind of knowledge. Now, I, I just separate this because the word intimacy is not in Scripture at all, but the word to know is to know. One thing that I've come to learn is I did not know my wife as much as I know her now. And the more and more I know her, there's a separation that I have to strip down of who I thought I was and who I thought she was as we meet more and more and more in together. And not only that, like uh, the church, I think we can all agree that the most dangerous thing we can ever do with God's people is think we know everything already. Think we know everything. You're coming in. The most damaging thing you can do to this church is to already assume that you know the people. You don't. You don't. You just don't. And you might have a gnosko knowledge. You might even have an oida, which is a, is a little word. You might have facts about these people. When you walk in, uh, you may pick up really quickly their age, and you may then decide to, to act a certain way because of it. Uh, you may pick up the color of people in the room, and you may act oida. You may gnosko, but you cannot actually participate until you actually go further to know the people. And we, we struggle with that. Intimacy is difficult to do. Intimacy and knowledge will go hand in hand. In fact, uh, if I can just preface you with this, this whole day will really be like, God, give me the, the places in my heart where I have grown some understanding of you, but been very Im- immature in other areas. Because it's often the places that I'm immature in that I have an intimacy problem in. Because intimacy and knowledge go hand in hand. Intimacy and knowing go hand in hand. That, that in fact, the, the humility of saying, God, I don't know. I don't know of you. I don't know of, I don't trust in you. I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I still have bitterness that I know. I still know sin more than this. Then that's an intimacy problem. You'll hear this, like, uh, we're going to discover very quickly some subtle ho- holes that we have. We may believe something on the base level. But there's some groundworking things that God has been building, and he's matured you in some areas, but then you fall in the others. We have intimacy problems. We have intimacy problems. I have an intimacy problem, and that's okay. 
To be intimate, though, is to know with precision. So basically, we get this like ability to know with precision the Lord of God, the Lord of hosts. And then through that, he gives us eyes to see. So if you're like a little working definition, those of you who like, okay, Greg, I don't like these Greek words. Give me something easy. Intimacy can be boiled down to this, knowing someone as they truly are, if you want to underline that word, truly, uh, knowing someone as they truly are while disclosing who you truly are. And we'll get into why that is so important in a second, but really, like, uh, we're going to talk about the tool of intimacy. is beautiful. Knowing someone as they truly are while already disclosing who you truly are. And I think we can all agree, like, anyone else struggle to believe who you truly are? Already then, you're struggling with intimacy, and you don't even know it. Anyone are, like, struggle in a, in a place, like you walk in and you, you, you struggle to disclose who you truly are? That's an intimacy problem. We, we don't like to label it as that, but we like to wonder, like, why is it struggling in my marriage, or why am I struggling to connect, or why, why do I feel all alone? And can we go back to, I might have an intimacy problem with the Lord, but the interesting, uh, we do premarital counseling a lot, Kate and I, uh, and one of the questions we love to talk about when we talk about physical intimacy, now we'll get into, that's not all of what I'm talking about here. But when we do it, we always like to ask the couple, what do you as individuals think the goal of physical intimacy is, right? Like, what's the goal of it? And I always love to hear them fumble through like an answer. Um, but if you want to know, like, what is the goal of actual intimacy? It's this, the word unity. When Jesus says, like, I want them to be one as you and I are one, the goal of intimacy will always be unity. And so I have to disclose who I am while they disclose who they truly are. And we have to trust the Lord. And there's unity. And it's this beautiful, messy unity. But it must be a unity that echoes Jesus, that proclaims him, that shows him, uh, that shows a connection you see, I was in, um, and we're about to open up again to, to Second Peter. We're going to dive more into it than we have in the past. Uh, and then we're going to finish off in Romans 1. It's a very, very humbling passage, Romans 1. But it's, a, it's an intimacy that echoes Jesus is the, the, the beauty that we're supposed to be showing. But I was in a, a class in college. It was called a family sexuality class. Uh, those of you who didn't get that class, you know, it was really cool. Uh, those who didn't have a class like that in college that you could go to, I'm sorry. But this one was amazing. So I sat in it. And uh, really, the powerful thing that I, I took away was they scrapped my, my view of what the word sexuality may, means. And I think as we talk about intimacy, we have to understand how the word sexuality flows into it. Um, because we in a culture, uh, if you have an intimacy problem in your marriage, if you're struggling with intimacy as a dating couple, both in different ways feel shameful to talk about. Both feel shameful to disclose. Uh, if you're struggling with an intimacy problem and a dating couple, and you're like, I just feel, I don't know what's going on. I don't know how to be intimate, but because the church has labeled it this way in that, we, instantly it becomes this, this awkward elephant in the room of how do I move forward? And always in that mix is my individual sexuality too. Marriage couple, it's like we, we've been struggling with this and we don't know how to move past this, but also like I have this individual identity sexuality, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. But the beauty, uh, the beauty of that word 
is it has nothing to do with the physical act of sex. Sexuality is another way of saying connection. It's how you and I connect. We are, we are beings that are more than just mental, physical. We are, that word means connection. We are sexual beings. We have the ability in Christ to connect with people correctly. One of the most powerful things, though, is uh, we use that which is deep inside of us, and we pull out, we make connections with others. The reason, though, that the world has now attached identity onto sexuality, right? Like, the reason that has happened is identity attached to sexuality. It's because we, as humans, will always connect with people based off of what's in us, because I want you to know me. And I want you to know who I truly am. And I want to know who you truly are. So I'm trying to pull from what's in me to connect to you. And I think we can all realize like how messy that can be if in me is sin. Like can we just, but I want to connect with you. And so I'm pulling from what's in me to connect with what's in you. And I want what's in you. To, like, and I, I feel this, this disconnect if that doesn't happen. But obviously you can see children who, who want to connect uh, and they just don't know how. Can we all agree? Like sometimes kids just are stealing. They don't know how to use their, their words. I think we're just like that. And God's like, people, you, what are you doing? You're pulling from your fears. Like you're pulling from your insecurities. You're pulling from all these other things. Sexuality is not bad. But without intimacy, as the Lord has called it, it will always lead to sin because we end up, pulling from what's deep down. And uh, deep down in me sometimes is insecurities. First few uh, years of marriage, first few years of dating. Anyone remember those? Those of you single people, like, bless you. I'm praying, I'm interceding for you. Always, like, uh, because we, we are quick to pull from what is deep down, and sometimes deep down is our hurts. Sometimes deep down is how our, our parents treated us. Sometimes deep down is, is the, the, the triggers, the bitterness, the pain. And uh, it's interesting, though, deep down, may, as a new bride, maybe a whole lot of fears. Deep down as a single person, maybe some unresolved uh, tension, some bitterness. You see, having an intimacy problem or connection problem can sometimes feel like a wounding conversation. It's okay that you have an intimacy problem. It is. Most marriages, though, like go years before they actually talk about it. Most people go years. Many times they never bring it to the attention. And many single people try to deny themselves what they believe intimacy is and then never truly experience it. It's a false pretense and then festering inside of the hurts, the pains. So one of the little quotes that stuck with me is when it comes to intimacy, healthy connections will always heal the broken connections. And this is the gospel. Jesus came to make us one. And that healthy connection with him now cleanses our poor connection with sin. It, it, healthy connections heal broken connections. But now I want to open up to Second Peter, which I started every message off but this is the beautiful one. I don't even know if you realize that this word epigonosco was thrown in here every week. Peter says, the divine power of the most high, it has given us everything. He has given us everything needed for life and godliness. And then we've hung out there for a bit the past two weeks. 
But it says everything needed for life and godliness is given through the epigenosco, the intimacy, the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory, his own goodness. And it says thus, he has given us through these things, his precious and very great promises so that through them we can escape the corruption. It's intimacy with him. It's this beautiful connection with him. It's through the epigenosco of him. But it's beautiful, it says, so that we can become participants in the divine nature. To keep going, though, verse 5, for this reason, since you can participate with him, since you can have intimacy with the Lord, make every effort to support your faith with goodness, goodness knowledge, knowledge self-control, self-control endurance, endurance godliness, godliness mutual affection, mutual affection love, for if these things are yours and are increasing among you. They will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge, the epigenosco of our Lord. For anyone who lacks these things is nearsighted and blind and is forgetful of the cleansing of past sins. Now, pause. If you want to do something in your Bible, highlight nearsighted and blind and forgetful of the cleansing. Because it's interesting that that last verse, it needs to go in their back pocket because the feeling of being blindsided is really common in our relationships. Instantly, a relationship issue happens. The classic, uh, has anyone ever been in the room like, men, this happens to us. Something comes up and you're like, where was that? I thought we were good. I thought we were good. We seem to be the last one to know that we're not good, right, men? Like, I thought we were good. Uh, anyone who lacks these things, intimacy with the Lord, can be nearsighted and blindsided and forgetful, and they're not aware of things. And it's interesting, even the lack of intimacy with the Lord gets me to forget my cleansing in Him. And when I forget my cleansing with Him, I struggle to connect with people. I struggle to connect with others. It's interesting, though. Put that in your, your back pocket, because we're going to keep going. We'll dive into Romans 1 in a second, but in like our other weeks, honor, right? Honor, I told you, is a, is a submission problem when we don't honor. It's a submission problem to the Lord. It all goes back to the Lord. Purity last week, uh, purity, it all goes back to the Lord. It's when I am claiming his purity over me, when I, when I believe that I am pure, uh, that, that word that my wife's name comes from, uh, when I believe that, I'm, uh, that I can then see him. It all goes back to the Lord. The same thing is true. True intimacy will always begin and end with Jesus. And this is what I need to hear. My heart deep down must have that connection. And you want to know why though? This is huge. Men, women, always. If you come to my office and you say, I have an intimacy problem with my spouse, we, will, we cannot just leave it at that. Because true intimacy will always begin and end with Jesus. And this is where we have to own like what our true beliefs are. Because in the world, no, intimacy can just be reserved to the bedroom. But if I truly believe that Christ has died for all, so that all may live in him, then my life began with Christ, it ends with Christ. My goodness began with Christ, it ends with Christ. My intimacy begins with Christ, and it must end with Christ as well. And you want to know why, though? He heals through that connection, the deep down, so that my longings flow from his works and not sin's work. 
Now I'm gonna pause in this a bit because it said that he has given us everything needed for life and godliness through the knowledge of him. When we know sin, we tend to go to sin. Do you hear me? When we know fear, we act in fear. The point of intimacy is not to get to know the other person better. That, I need to really challenge you in this. The point of intimacy with your spouse is never about knowing them better. It's about knowing the Lord better. It really is. And I know that doesn't make any sense. And you're like, how? It seems ulterior. It seems messed up. But it's through my understanding of the Lord, and we'll get into this, I can then actually present who I am. And when I actually present who I am, my wife has something to respond to. When I actually present who I am, and not only that, then I can see clearly. Paul says we're compelled by the love of Christ, so therefore, like, we don't see anyone through human, human lens anymore. Like, everything has changed. And so that intimacy, he begins to change to his work and not sin's work. Now, this is why this is important. How often, when you try to connect with other people, sin's work comes up. You struggle to trust. Sin's work comes up. You struggle with lust. Sin's work comes up. You struggle uh, to be vulnerable. Sin's work in your past comes up. You struggle with shame, insecurities. You see, this is not a they should do more, you should do more kind of thing. This is not they're missing the mark or you're missing the mark kind of thing. This is simply, Jesus, I need to know your work in my life. I'm missing your work in my life. So I'm pulling from sin's work in my life. I'm pulling from fear. I'm pulling from everything else. You see, it's interesting. If we believe in the gospel, then we must believe that without Jesus, my innermost parts are like abused by sin, right? Like if we actually believe the gospel. So then if my innermost parts are abused by sin, why do we keep looking to the world movies to show like what intimacy looks like when the world, they can't paint a picture of that. It's an innermost part abused by sin, trying to disclose who they are to another innermost part abused by sin, trying to disclose who they are. That's a mess. It is through Christ. Like there's the healing, the beauty, and that's what I mean. True intimacy always begins and ends. And now we're about to open up to Romans 1, but I do need to have this, this question that we have to boldly ask ourselves. Does this mean that like if you have an unbelieving boyfriend or girlfriend, they can never be intimate with you? Yes. This really means if you have unbelieving friends and you're wondering why aren't they meeting your needs, they can't. Now, this is why, like, and I, and I, the world cannot be intimate. And some of you want to fight me on that. Okay, cool. James is the one who said, uh, if you do not know God, you do not know love. And interesting, does that mean, and I'm not going to look out, does that mean if I have an unbelieving spouse and I'm doing my best to love them, but I'm struggling to feel their love? Well, it's because they can. Now, the, now the Lord says, stay in this so that your consistency, right? Paul says this, your consistency, your, pres- your perseverance may lead them to love, but it's hard. It severs. If you have an unbelieving spouse, they cannot love you. 
They can't. But we get wounded by their lack of love. And that also can't happen. The Lord, you must, do not be shocked when they persecute you, right? Do not be shocked when they hate you because they hated me. Uh, intimacy is, is, it cannot be done. Uh, that word, you do not, if they do not know God, they do not know love. That's if you do not epigenosco God, you do not intimately know love. And if you do not know love, you can't show it. You can't show it. To know love is no God. But it's interesting, though. Um, I will tell you, what if, like, your intimacy problem is not because, and I just need to, I need to clarify this and, and help you out. What if your intimacy problem couples, we'll just stick with you first, married couples. I have multiple marriages that come and talk, one of Kate and I's favorite things to talk about are intimacy. So I'm just gonna get really real with you, okay? What if your intimacy problem is not because they don't know you? Sometimes it's, it's this difficulty of, of what if the issue in your marriage is not because they just keep missing you or you feel misunderstood. Now, I know all those are valid things and they need to get healed and we need to deal with it. But we like to sit in this, I, it would all be better if they just heard me, okay? But what if your intimacy problem is not, the basis of it is not because you do not know more about your spouse or because you're just in a rough patch. Sometimes we like to just say that. It's just because we're in a rough patch. We'll get back on it. What if your intimacy problem isn't even because like you're, you're dating and you just can't have sex with someone so you feel you're like, okay, we're just gonna have this, this awkward intimacy problem. What if it's not because of that? What if it is not because you just feel misunderstood? What if it's because God has been, I need you to hear this. What if it's because God has paved a foundation of life in you to the fullest? And over the season of your lives, he has begun building things. You pick a picture of home. He's building off of this foundation. And what if the reason you have intimacy problems is not because of what they're doing or what you're doing, but because, listen, the base of it is because God has built a foundation. You have been growing in gnosko, epigenosko of him. But like a floor paved, there is a hole in your understanding of him. So that it seems like she's just walking and then instantly you don't even know her anymore because it just falls through the hole. Some of us literally, you know how many times a marriage will say, I just feel like the ground got ripped out from under us. It just got ripped out from under us and I don't know what's happening. What if it's not because that thing happened, but because the trust that you've been building in the Lord left a hole where as you've grown and got older, there's this massive hole in your structure, in your building, in your heart, that when that pain came, it hit on that place and it fell straight to the ground. Where, what if, instead of, we just are misunderstanding ourselves right now. What if it's because there's some holes in your structure where God has said, no, I need you to be confident in the Lord and strong in the strength that he provides, but that belief is way at the base. It's not up here. And so because something she has done has challenged your strength, it fell. Because you've provided, you've, you've, you've given everything else the ability to validate your strength except the Lord. Is this making sense? And because it should be up here, strengthened and foundationalized by the Lord, it's not. 
So when push comes a shove, marriage falls. What's happening? Intimacy problem. We could do this more and more on many things. Your validation. Uh, when the Lord says, like, ah, you are mine. I am your keeper. I validate you. I protect you. All of these are not just like foundational beliefs, but now the Lord is building off of them. And in marriage and relationships, when it starts happening, where an issue comes, that it turns out that we've been relying on them to be that, it will fall. And we will think everything's messed up. But what I love to talk through with couples is like, no, listen, you still got the structure. There's just one little hole that your marriage has fallen through right now. That's okay. We will build this, this lie. Uh, we'll destroy the lie and we'll build this truth back up to, together. We will build this truth because intimacy problem is not an all-around problem. It's just a knowing Jesus problem. It really is. And as I know him, his work starts being done more and more. And I hope that makes sense. That image of a whole, I'm just going to move on. I hope it makes sense. It's about knowing. Like it'll always reside from him and it will always resolute to him. This is the reason why counselors, some of you have really thought like, why does my past keep getting brought up? And the Lord's like, because you have grown, but there's a hole going all the way down to when I first met you. And that hole going all the way down to the first met you, like I gave you eternal life, but you have doubted my peace. And so you've grown in this, but doubted my peace. And why do I always have to go back to my abuse as a child? Because that needs to get healed so you can stand strong in your marriage and grow together. Why do we always have to talk about that past relationship? Some of you really feel, why do we always keep talking? Because she just keeps falling through the hole of your past girl. She keeps falling through the hole. Why does this always get brought up in intimacy? Some of you married people, like sex happens, and then she's always fearful of, this is real. This is all real stuff. I constantly, and she's always fearful of the past and all of these things. It's because there's a hole in her trust. There's a hole in your ability to, to verbalize. Uh, there, there is. And so we always have to go back down because this is nothing about you two. It's always about you and the Lord. This strength in him. I will be strong in the strength that he provides. I will, be, I will, sta- I will stand in purity. I will honor the Lord. Like all of the things from the past, we got to bring it back in. But it's interesting though, Peter says, add to this goodness. Add to your faith like endurance. Some of you need to add to your faith his mercy. Others of you need to add to your faith his forgiveness, his provision. You need to add to your faith self-control. And that builds it. But I need you to know as we dive into Romans, write this intimacy. This is just to framework because it's going to be talking about sex in a second. It's going to be talking about sexual things. Intimacy is not about sex. Sex can be intimate. But intimacy is not about sex. It's not. We have labeled in our Christian world, and I need you to hear this. Men, married men, women, single men, single ladies. We have labeled in our world that this Christian, uh, that, that sex is the ultimate display of intimacy. God is the ultimate display of intimacy. Like, and we, we've labeled that sex is the ultimate. Now sex is a part of intimacy. It's, it's this closeness. But what ends up happening then is, I'm just going to be honest, 
single people, like, it leaves you guys feeling like you're missing something. It really does. And so if I can't have true intimacy, I guess I'll have, like, like this other or less than version of intimacy in all my relationships. And one day, maybe. Or, and it just leaves, it leaves us misunderstanding this label in our Christian world, even. Like, Kate and I, we've, we've done many studies on sex, and I literally have heard that Christian books claim that, that men are just physical in nature, and they must have sex to feel intimate. And I'm like, BS. Can I say that? that that's just, it's not about that. Intimacy resides in the Lord. It does. But there's a lie from the enemy saying that I cannot claim or have intimacy if our sex life is struggling. Maybe the sex life is struggling because of an intimacy problem that needs to get healed. Maybe sex in a dating couple has become the band-aid that has subdued your need to be healed. Does that make sense? What if sex in a dating couple is literally just hardening your doubts? What if it's just hardened? What if it is keeping and festering the lies? And so we have to like, sex can be intimate, but it's not intimacy. It's not at all. And so Romans says this, uh, Romans chapter 10, it says, I can testify, Paul says, that the they, I put it in parentheses though, that you understand, the people of Israel, he's talking about Israel, the Jews, have a zeal for God. They have a passion for God. I mean, I could just look at like couples. I can see they have a newlywed couple has a passion for each other. I can see there is some zeal in this dating couple. I can see there's a zeal in this man or this woman, but it is not epigonoscode. It's not intimate. It's not enlightened. For, he says, being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God, they began seeking the righteousness to establish their own righteousness, and they have not submitted to his. And now the interesting thing is he's talking about the people of God, and I think we know how the Jews always said, okay, if God's not going to give me what I need, I'll do it myself. We can clean, we can set up cleanliness, we can handle it ourselves, like we can, we can pursue righteousness on our own, I will follow all the, the tasks, everything. You see, it is a nasty little thing with intimacy, and it's this, we will always wrestle with allowing the physical to halt gnosko from moving to epigonosco. We will. We will always allow the physical world, the physical things to halt us, to where the people of God were saying, okay, uh, this physical thing of, of needing to be clean, that hurt their ability to know. And I think if you wouldn't put that up, Jess, I think we allow like that wrestle with, with sex, the doing intimate things uh, we, that are not physical, we think that they're secondary. But actually it's the physical sometimes that can halt us from ever moving in our relationships, from knowing gnosko to actually participating in life together actually participating. And sometimes, like, I, when I talk to marriages even, um, I will ask, maybe right now you need to just hold off on, exper- on expecting sex after every date because it's destroying your ability to actually be present with one another. Stop expecting it because you're letting the physical thing halt your gnosko from moving to epigonosco. We are allowing these physical things. And so where the Lord is wanting you to be intimate, how about we like decide, and I've challenged couples, how about we decide to let 
our physical showcase how immature our emotional is? How about we just like put distance and actually showcase our physical, show how immature our, our mental emotion, our mental intimacy is. And then like, let's actually ask the Lord to heal it. Let's move forward. It's interesting though, if there's an intimacy problem, uh, sometimes it could just be an, a Band-Aid. Sex is a Band-Aid. But Paul, at the beginning of this chapter, this whole book, I mean, Romans 1, he talks about the knowing of the Lord. And he says, for I, as a man of God, verse 18 of chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's a power of God. The salvation. This is the same man who said, I want to epigenosco Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. You want to talk about his ability to then be intimately connected with the churches, why he was able to lead so well, because he knew Christ. I want to know. I want to participate in his suffering. I want to know him. And so I'm not ashamed of the gospel. To everyone who has faith, it is to the Jew first and then to the Greek. And he says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith, not from doing it themselves, but through faith. And then verse 18 if you remember when I said the word nearsighted, put it in your back pocket, and blinded, put it in your back pocket. This is why the wrath of God is revealed. And this is the most, whoo, heaviest of passages ever. Like it really is. It says the wrath of God is revealed from the heavens against all ungodliness and wickedness of those. By their wickedness, they suppress the truth. For what can be gnoscoed, what can be intimately known about God, is plain to them because he's shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, his eternal power and divine nature, though it's invisible, they've been understood through what he's done. But it's interesting, it says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and the wickedness of those who by their wickedness suppress truth. Now I need you to just highlight that. Suppress truth, it literally means, husbands, wives, I need you to hear this. Suppressing truth literally means to hinder your ability to see reality. Suppress truth. That truth word is not the Bible. It's not talking about God's truth in, the, in that sense. It literally just means how things are in reality. The word is really cool even. It just says the word for reality or for truth there also means historical fact that can be affected by eternity. It's just like, so not just how things like factually are, but the deeper understanding of how they really are. So it's saying these people, gnoscoed God, they knew God, they gnoscoed him, but they prevented themselves from seeing reality. So if we could say this, an intimacy problem, the opposite of intimacy is a suppression of truth. Now, I'm gonna make sense of this. I'm gonna make sense of this. When you're struggling to feel connected to someone, couples, when you're struggling to feel connection, instead of thinking through what isn't happening, thinking through what they are not doing, thinking through what you've messed up on, some of you really get stuck in this cycle. To claim intimacy in the Lord is to say, how am I preventing my heart, which he's given you every ability to see clearly, right? How am I preventing my heart from seeing reality? That is your intimacy problem. How am I preventing my heart 
from believing reality, like seeing things as they truly are. God has given me eyes to see, but it literally said, if you follow and track down that uh, story, with their suppression of truth, it will say God gave them over to their sins, to the degrading of their bodies. It's this most, it's, it's humbling. It says they knew God, but they did not honor him as the Lord. It's interesting, your husband can know you, but not honor you as his wife. We can know people, but not honor them. And the issue is we are preventing our own eyes from seeing things clearly. What if I like approached my relationship with Kate, not thinking, how is she not seeing me right? But I pause and say, God, am I suppressing reality with my pain? Am I literally preventing my eyes from being able to see you clearly because of my pain. In fact, like God, you've given me the eyes to see clearly. The Holy Spirit is with you, the mighty counselor. Sometimes you do not lean on the Holy Spirit. He is mighty counselor. You can literally sit down, guys, and work with the Holy Spirit in things. God, where is this thought coming from? How am I hindering? How am I not seeing things clearly? And when it struggles, that's when we bring in a third party. There's no shame. How are we not seeing things clearly? Because it's not that you just need to do more things. It's not that you just need to, to force yourself to, ha- to, to make love with your spouse. It's, that's not going to fix the intimacy problem. It's not going to be like you just forcing yourself to abstain from sex as a dating couple so that you can be intimate. That's not the point. You, you just say, God, if I'm blurring the lines between what is intimacy and what isn't, maybe I'm suppressing your truth. Maybe I'm preventing my eyes to see reality. So God, what is reality? Good question. How are you loving Kate that I can join in on it? Like what is real? How are you healing my wife so that I could just be a part of it instead of hindering it? Because sometimes in my desires that are more sinful, I'm hindering your work in her. So God, let me see reality. Sometimes the most intimate prayer that you can pray for your spouse is God, let me see reality. So I could see her. I could see him. I could see them. Like that's on a, I'll tell you, it's really hard to be a pastor. We sometimes just see all the problems. Anyone else just see all the problems when you walk into work? Like we just see all the problems. And sometimes even the problems are not reality. That may be a part of reality, but it's not all of reality. And the moment I just see half of reality is the moment that I stop my intimacy as a pastor. I halt it. If you feel like pastors being distant, it might be because I'm having a, a suppression of the truth problem. I'm seeing all the negative and not praising God for the positive. Like I'm seeing only half truths. This is the point when we have to say like, if I feel disconnected, they got work to do but I do too. So how am I suppressing reality? The story continues, and I'm not going to get into it because it gets a little heavy. There's three handing overs that happen. And I just encourage you, if you're dating someone, I encourage you to ask the Lord, give me eyes to see if I'm in this handing over. Now, the issue is, you'll read in, in Romans 1 where it says, They did not honor the Lord, so he gave them over to their dishonor. 
He gave them over to their impurity. He gave them over to their sins. It's, it's interesting. He, they, and then they did not do that, so they, he gave them over. And so when we find ourselves like, God, parts of my marriage have been given over to impurities. Parts of our marriage has just been given over to lies. Even recently, Kate and I, we had to, to label, some of my marriage was built on this false pretense of God's truth. How much we can trust in him. And for years, we didn't realize how immature pieces of our trust in the Lord were. But then it came out in how apparent we don't trust the, 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 the presence of each other at times. And so it just fell through. Has the Lord given you over to your insecurities? Has he given you over to your little sense of self-value? That will hurt your intimacy. So God, pause. Forgive me. Go all the way back to the honor. I will surrender. All the way back to the purity. Like I will choose to not let, like lose heart. I will believe what you say. Build this from the ground up. And, and in this one, I will not suppress your truth. I'm going to pray, Father, in this place. In this place, you intimately see us. You know us. You welcome us. But Lord, also in this place, there is an intimacy problem. I have one. I expect people to do things that you do for me. We expect people to give things that you give us. And the reason we do is because we doubt that you're giving it. Father, in this place, may we just pause and see reality clearly. In fact, there's, there's, a couple, there's a couple of you married couples in the room that just need to pause and breathe. Take a deep breath and knowing that what feels like the ground falling out from under you is just one hole. It's not as big as you think. And sometimes the Lord allows it to happen in a place where you can be sustained. And maybe he's allowing it to happen in your, your intimacy. He's allowing it to happen in your connection so that he can finally heal some of the things. But the worst thing you can do is act like that hole's not there or to believe it's bigger than it is. So God, I just pray all around to the one who's struggling to know that they they are seen with others. To the wife who's struggling to believe that marriage is what she wants. Can you just give us eyes to see reality? Forgive me for how I've prevented you from working. Forgive me from when I've hindered you, when I've suppressed the stories, the victories, when I've suppressed the memories of how you've provided, I go to the baseline. You are good. You've saved me. My wife is redeemed. She's eternally yours. And from this ground, we can build. Some of you need to pray that over yourself. Go to the baseline. You've healed me, God. 
my girlfriend, she knows you, she's healed, she's redeemed. She's eternally yours. And so from this ground, we'll build up. Go to that base. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.